2: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: Ready to get your glitter on? Then head to World's of Fun Grand Carnival from July 23rd through August 7th for a larger-than-life shimmering celebration. Join the spectacle of color, a dazzling parade of floats, performers, music, and beads that sweeps across the park. And take your taste buds on a world tour while dancing to music after dark. Save over 45% with a carnival bundle. Which includes admission, parking, and three food tastings, only at WorldsOfFun.com.
1: Just before we do get going this week, we'd like to point you all in the direction of our new partners over at Pitch Football. On the Pitch Football app, you'll be able to make predictions and rate the Everton squad and performances, and interact with ourselves as well through the Fan Time feature. That's where we record our thoughts on the team at the moment. Get a video out to you guys and you can respond and we'll share them through our social channels. It's dead easy and it's free as well. So remember to get your predictions in on the Pitch Football app for the upcoming Everton fixture and download by searching Pitch Football app where you can get all of your latest Everton news. Thanks very much for listening to that message. Here's the rest of your podcast. It is the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. Already disagreements (laughs) in the studio here before we've even started (laughs) Uh, It may not surprise anybody to know that it's Dave Downey and Paddy Boyland bickering already about all sorts. He's um, a natural antagonist, is what he is. (laughs) I'm
2: just contrarian, aren't you? Yeah, we'll wait and see. What subscribers think when you uh, are no, your atrocious? Well, no,
4: no, no, because I'll tell you why. You've already got the high ground, yeah. Because <laughs> no Evertonian is going to agree with what I'm about. What I'm going to say about it, we'll but still, it like, uh, right, I could have blagged this and agreed with you all. But I am, I'm willing to stick my neck on the line and reputation, which is pretty shoddy oh, as Jesus it is. Christ. But you know.
1: I'm going to moderate. It is your weekly here on Radio City Talk. We are going to be speaking about VAR, as you may have already gathered. Um, And there are disagreements in the room. Uh, We'll be chatting about Everton's general performance. Jordan Pickford, Dominic Carver-Lewin, all sorts from the game at the weekend. We will, of course, be looking ahead to the match against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge on Sunday as well. In the final part of the show, we've got a couple of clips for you. Um, one of them is of our season show coming up, where we're going to be looking back at the 94-95 season. Dave's done some wonderful editing and put together a, a fantastic little promo. Hopefully it redeems what I'm about to say. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely,
4: yeah, the good and the bad. Yeah. Bit like Jordan Pickford, one error. She got married as well, like you. Oh, yeah. yeah Did and, he? Yeah, it was on. And in reason I know this again, People will be turning off in their droves just because I caught some of loose women today. And the, <laughs> the topic, the topic was uh, how you, should you ever have a casual wedding? Because he got married apparently, uh, just wearing pair of ripped jeans and a jacket, and his wife was just wearing a coat. You can wear whatever he wants. Same as man. That, that, yeah, yeah, yeah well, fair. naturally the conversation from them was uh, to the contrary that like oh you should be doing a proper wedding dress in the works and stuff but you know Who's look father? how Michael was dressed as well you know for his wedding so look, he father? looked quite smart to be fair he didn't did, he did yeah. I'm just joking
1: and also in the final part of the show we'll get through this intro eventually uh, we'll be hearing from the lads from the American Sophie podcast who join me and Mark Mosey on this week's subs weekly show, it was their first experience at Goodison Park. The weekend they got to meet Tim Howard and everything. Look like they've had a, a great time. Have of you things. seen the video of that? Yeah, it's fantastic. It is this really year. good. Yeah, it's it's just really for good. Me this show, very, isn't it? Very Tim Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's on very, against me. Yeah, I, I love the way the lads both nearly, very, almost swear as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like the club are doing the official video. It's like holy. Yeah. Don't quite get there. But I mean, uh,
2: to, to be fair, that's probably a natural inclination, yeah. isn't it? Given. The, the surprise that you get, particularly as as an American fan mm. of Everton, who effectively started supporting the team because of Tim Howard, mm. which
1: Everton player would make you almost swear live I, on uh, camera?
2: Probably Tim Howard, <laughs> for the same
4: reason. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Paddy, <laughs> um, let's let's change it slightly to
2: who would I most like to see? I'd I'd like to have I'd like to like if Layton Baines or Tim kale
1: or somebody mm-hmm. like that. That would be my my year Everton really I think if, B- if it was Baines you would have to like try and play a cool onion you know, as well you wouldn't want to be like get that excited because you know he's, he's just such a laid back fella what about Tim Cahill then I think he'd probably appreciate that a bit of giddiness a little bit more <laughs> oh there? yeah
4: he would Yeah, he'd love all <laughs> he'd that, love all he, that he's, yeah. he'd indulge himself with that but you've seen Leighton several times and bottled it haven't you I've not bottled it no you haven't gone over and said hello
2: well Leight- Leighton Baines unlike for context <laughs> unlike the majority of Everton's players who tend to live South Manchester Cheshire Leighton Baines lives on Merseyside, doesn't he? Like Tom Davis. I thought you were going to give us his address Rich live Robinson. on the radio then. We couldn't do that. He's a guy <laughs> that likes his privacy. And he spends a lot of time in Liverpool mm. City Centre. So I, I, I quite regularly see Leighton Baines. But he's entitled to his privacy. So, unlike Dave, Dave's shaking his head here. I'm
4: shaking my head because he's a footballer and expects that level of attention. I don't, no, he's entitled to he his privacy. I got a photo with him at the Echo Arena because it was covered in the boxing at Radio mm. City one year. It was, uh, I think it was when Tony Bellew fought... Uh, BJ Flores. And it was when he had that infamous scrap with David Hay ahead of the fight getting announced that you know now mm. looks like it really was staged. Yeah. And Leighton Baines and Ryan Taylor who used to play for Wigan sat next to He's me. So he scored against us, didn't he? He did, he yeah. To, yeah. He always used to score against Wigan for Newcastle and Newcastle for Wigan mm. as well. I think they had the only goals he scored in this <laughs> and uh, yeah, Leighton was there it was when he was injured. I remember cracking a joke like a like a little girl and said Oh, uh, you sure the boss knows you're out on a work night? Oh, I forgot you're injured late night, aren't you? Ha, ha. He wasn't impressed. Um, <laughs> so I put my, arm, put my arm around him and got a photo I Like him, him even more now. As he yeah. would have expected being a footballer. Now, that is in a professional environment, so like, I was probably being a little bit un- unprofessional there because I was working, mm. getting a photo with him, right? And I, I normally hate that sort of thing. But young Patrick here is in a coffee shop, a public place most of the time when he sees him. Mm. Surely that's the best time you can go over. He, and doesn't, say, he doesn't want it, does Can he? I get a photo? I,
1: I wouldn't go over and he it. He doesn't want
4: to. Perry is. Uh, uh, well, you're not liars because you probably both like that because you're both weird. But <laughs> everyone else, everyone else would go and get a photo with him because he'd expect people to if they recognised him.
1: Let us know. Would you go over to Leighton Beans if you saw him in a coffee shop and ask this, him? This, this is all poll informed. Leighton.
2: This is all informed. As a kid, this sounds ridiculous. As a kid, we were in Chester Zoo, went with <laughs> my mum and dad, and we saw Alec Cleland. Do you remember the, the right <laughs> back? days? <is> like, <laughs> like, Scottish perm? Yeah, basically. Oh. And I was with I was with my dad, and my dad's a big Everton fan. And I was a bit giddy about seeing an Everton player at the time. So we both went up to him and said, hi, Alex, how are you doing? And he stopped, and he was really chatty, and he was quite it was quite clear that he liked the interaction with Everton fans most most of the people in chester zoo probably wouldn't have known who he was
4: at that most time evertonians would most, <laughs> most evertonians
2: <laughs> probably didn't know who he, didn't want to know him um, or who he was but i just remember seeing the face of his wife who was absolutely <laughs> furious we just quite clearly we 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 kind of stood there and had like a half an hour conversation about all things Everton. <laughs> and she was furious. I could just see her brooding in the in the corner so I just thought, you know what? No, it's not not worth it. These guys are entitled to the privacy. I yes. think
4: in this day and age as well the thing that's more invasive is the fact that people ask for photographs and not autographs. So I think, you know, it's a little bit easier if you're a pro to just, like, scribble on a piece of paper or something like that. But everyone wants but it's so easy now,
1: isn't it, to, to yeah, it there, so Yeah,
4: and, and, and I think that's why they sort of probably minded a little bit more. Yeah. But, yeah, you need to um, get a photo with them, Paddy.
1: Before we um, move on to talk about all yeah. manner of other things, which I'm sure you two will continue to disagree on and bicker about, um, he was brilliant, wasn't he, Baines? Very on good. On Sunday. Yeah, He had a fantastic very game.
2: Very good. I think that, like, like we mentioned on the post-match show, I think there's one bit on around 80 Minutes where Richarlison picks up the ball on the left flank and looks for that run in his peripheral vision mm. on his outside and expects it to come because ordinarily it'd be Luca Dean. Yeah. And Baines, on 80, is not able to make those same kind of runs, those same lung-busting runs. Apart from that, I think he was close to faultless in his delivery, in his crossing. Brilliant cross that Richarlison could have scored in the yeah. first half. Defended very well against some some tricky opponents. And it's quite clear that in, like, in a one or two game scenario when Luca Dean is injured, Baines can come in and do a job still for Everton. You'd actually argue that he's he's about as good as en- anything Everton have got on the other side of the pitch mm-hmm. as well. So he's just unlucky that Luca Dean is there and, and racks up the assists to mm-hmm. the extent he does. Thought he was very good. Roll back the years, him and him and Coleman while Coleman was on the pitch yeah. briefly. I thought they both did well. Star mm-hmm.
1: for you on Sunday, Dave, if both left backers for it? <sighs> <I'm... sighs>
4: I don't know. I don't know about that. I think you're looking at a game at goodness and I think against United is easier by comparison to what we're going to face when we go away to Chelsea. You've got their problems, don't get me wrong, but we're not going to have as much of the ball, of the ball. I wouldn't expect as we did against United. So that could be a little bit of a problem. The real thing that I like, just going back to Sunday's game, was where he... And it's not necessarily something he's associated with, I don't think, it's sort of last-ditch defending... But when he gets mm, back, yeah. and Bruno Fernandez, yeah. I think, crossed the ball in, and, and Agallo would have a tap in behind him, and it's all stemmed from a break where he was up at the other end of the pitch, involved in Everton's attack, and he he just you talk about lung-busting runs, he just follows Agallo as as quickly as he possibly can, and lunges in and and makes probably a goal saving tackle. Mm. That's the sort of thing that makes him an exceptional professional, because I think at this stage of his career many people would have the reservations for any player at this stage of the career to come into a team uh, and, and put on a show like he did. Because what he must have played less than 10 games in the last two years, probably. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And yeah. and he's still able to perform at the highest level. He's, he's a consummate professional, and dare I say it, and I don't use this term lightly, as many people know have listened to us, he's a genuine Everton legend, Leighton Baines.
2: Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that, actually. I think he's, I mean, in my time supporting the club, he's probably the best footballer I've seen mm. at Everton. You can talk about Romelu Lukaku's goals and a young Wayne Rooney, all those kinds of players. Even Richarlison now probably starts to come into the equation. Mm -hmm. Tim Cale, Mikel Arteta, I think for consistency over an extended period of time and how much he rose in his field. At one point, he was probably the best attacking left-back in Europe, wanted by Bayern, wanted by Manchester United, probably could have moved, in all honesty. This place actually cole with England. I think he's the mm. best player I've seen in twenty eight years watching Everton. That said, I still think Luke Dean comes straight back in.
1: Yeah. I think I, I think, you don't, do you? Yeah. A lot of that depends, I think, for me, on whether it's been decided that he's going at the end of the season. I think if, if the club are looking at this saying that Baines is going to stay for another year, which I suppose we don't know if it's going to happen or not, yeah. I think he could say, Well, he's if he's going to be here for the, the you know, the medium term at least, then why not keep him in the team? But if it's sort of been set up behind the scenes, this is going to be like late in Baines' last year. Then Luka Dini should probably come back in because he is ultimately the long term in that position, and Angelotti should be looking at him as much as possible with a view to next season. Because mm. you know, ultimately, we are we are mid table at the moment, aren't mm. we? And, and you know, there's not there's not huge amounts to play for. But I'll save the the VAR chat for the second part of the show because we've gone on a, a bit there. But um, just just overall, Dave, obviously, you know, Paddy was on post match, you weren't. Performance of the team in general. What did you make of it at the weekend? I think I've been thinking about this a bit before coming in today and. What what I liked about it was that it felt after that United equaliser that all the, the conditions were there for Everton to let this game slip away a little bit. It felt as though United had good matches all over the pitch for some of our players. You know, the midfield were bossing the game for, for long spells. They had pace at, up front in, in Greenwood and Martial. And I just felt after that goal in the ground that this is going to be a tough one for us to, to get anything from and I think the way in which they steadied themselves in the second half, not by making any sort of drastic changes in regards to personnel at half-time, but by just playing a little bit better, being a little bit bolder, being a little bit more aggressive in, in the press, and I think that was probably the most encouraging thing about the, the overall performance for me, when you reflect on it.
4: Yeah, I think that that is encouraging. I think under most of the other managers that we've had in previous years, um, that would have been a game that we lost probably quite comfortably. I felt United were the better team in general, I have to be honest. Um Although I do think we probably deserve the point we come away with at the end. I know there are controversy notwithstanding, which we'll get into. But You thought United were the better team? Yeah.
1: I, don't think, I think a draw is probably both fair.
4: I, I, I thought... Uh, and I, I might well come from that sense of what you're talking about, Matt, and, and stem from that, that feeling of this is sort of teetering on the edge of we've seen this script before where Everton have took the lead in a game, being pegged back, and then, yes, we'll... Take the initiative because we're the home side, but they're still really good on the break. They had a couple of really good opportunities on the break as well. United, um, you think of the one that they missed as well with the Um and I'm saying that's a bad miss and not a great save from Pickford because mm-hmm. yes, he does what every good goalkeeper does and spreads himself. But I think a hits him rather than Pickford getting his foot in the way.
2: Yeah, but Pickford <clears throat> initiates the contact by spreading himself so
1: wide. No, well, I, we'll, we'll do Pickford in part right, two right. we'll
4: do Pickford in part two okay but I'm Galo should score if yeah. your team doesn't score that you should be fuming okay yeah um, and yes I think the performance in general quite slow to get started I just I just think on days like that the weather plays such a big important role in these games Sunday afternoon at Goodison where it's blustery and sunny, and it it, it still feels horrible. I just I think they generally are poor conditions to play football in, and that, and that as a result of that you saw passes going astray, you saw you know long balls going out of play. You, you, it's difficult to play in those conditions, and I think that's a factor in, in games like this. It didn't. I mean, Goodison felt quite low. I would suggest as well. I mm. I, I didn't get to the game, but listening to it, it seemed really really quiet. It felt a little bit like that infamous Leicester on New Year's Day atmosphere yeah. um, when we lost 1-0 last year, I think it was. Um, it felt like the crowd just weren't really too up for this one. Um, because maybe because of the conditions, maybe because it's an early, early kick-off on a Sunday. Um, but yeah, by and large, I think we really did improve in the second half. I felt that if there was a team that was, was going to win it in large portions of it, it probably would have been us because United's best opportunities come on the counter we had to stay in spells of the ball. I thought when Bernard come on as well, he mm. gives us that little bit extra, obviously provides the the really good ball to Richarlison for the controversy that follows. Yeah, I mean, Moise Keane comes on as well as a, as a really good little cameo appearance. He's running around like a headless chicken trying to retrieve the ball. And yes, I, I, ov- overall, I agree with what you're saying, Matt. I think the... That performance is something that you would not necessarily have expected from an Ever- Everton team of old or an Everton team of earlier this season, really. So credit to them for that and getting the points out of the game.
2: I think in the in the first half, Manchester United with the better team, without creating a whole heap of chances. I, I, I mean, the the goal comes from a a mistake playing out from the back. Um, Manchester United's goal, of, of yeah. course, comes from a mistake playing out from the back. Goalkeeper should probably do better with that as well. Can't think of many other chances in that first half beyond a, a few kind of... Passage at the bar, did I mean, from range, but yeah. if, if you're quantifying how good an opportunity that was, I'd say it wasn't that great in relation to, say, Richarlison's chance, that kind of stuff. Mm. Everton end the game with a higher XG, a considerably higher XG, over a 0.5 of a goal, I think, according mm. to, to some metrics. Um, while United were the better side in the first half without landing any kind of knockout blow, Probably deservedly went in level. I think Everton deserved at least the points, probably more on the balance of the second half. They were much improved after the break, and slowly got got to grips with the personnel changes. I mentioned it on the on on the um, on the weekend podcast. They they effectively changed the whole midfield, mm. and it takes time to adapt to that. It's there are new combinations there. People haven't played together for a long period of time in things like Andre Gomez being a bit rusty, mm. Luca Dean missing at left back, Seamus Coleman going off through injury, a new central defensive partnership in in Keane and, and Holgate. I could absolutely understand why, against the resurgent man United side, Everton weren't at the races early on. I wouldn't have made that many changes, quite yeah. frankly, and I don't think we can continue to, to make that many changes if we've got aspirations of Europe. Second half was much, much better. Tom Davis a sea change from mm. from the first 45 chasing everything down on a yellow winning the ball driving Everton up the, pit, the pitch Bernard's cameo was really good I think we should see him starting more yeah. if if we're honest very very unlucky to, to drop out after the Crystal Palace game and then you look at the final throws of the game if it's not a goal and it probably is a goal given that De Gea saw the ball when Calvert-Lewin initially shot if it's not a goal it's a penalty and I think on that basis, Everton are a tad unfortunate here
1: mm. for it to only be one point. If that makes sense, yeah. Dave is itching to go here, so we will take a break now
2: and hang so on. on. Keep introduce, your for now? introduce our special special guest after the break. Sky Sports and PG, MOLs, Dermot Gallagher.
1: <laughs> because that's who Dave's going to turn into. There we go. After the break, we'll hear from Paddy again and Dermot on that controversial <laughs> VAR Damn. decision. Uh, it is the Blue Room here on Radio City Talk. Before <laughs> well, we do get back to the show this week, I'm uh, just going to run over some of the news figures from our friends at Pitch Sport App, who, of course, are our new sponsors, here on the Blue Room. Uh, from the game against Manchester United at to the weekend, the man of the match, as I'm surprised, well, sure not surprising anybody was Dominic Carvalho with that goal and that excellent all-round performance of the weekend. Um, he had a fantastic game. Other numbers, uh, the team selection for Carlo Angelotti, five changes, of course, caught a few you by surprise, maybe Yerry Mina coming in. That was rated at 7.6 by the Evertonians over on Pitch Sport. Carlo Angelotti himself during the game, 7.3, maybe a little bit higher, a 4, for his menacing stride onto the field and subsequent red card at the weekend. The atmosphere at Goodison Park was rated at 7.2. And the referee, Chris Cavanaugh, had a bit of a nightmare on the day, didn't he? He's down at 6. Um, be sure to get over to the Pitch sports app of the weekend for the Chelsea game, if you want to have your say on all those categories on the Everton team, select your eleven as well for that game, It's uh, pitch sports app, and we will get back to the show now. We are back on Radio City Talk, it's the Blue Room, uh, Paddy and Dermot. Dermot. In the studio.
4: <laughs> I mean, I really want this to stay now. Apologies yeah. let's go. This, yeah. This, yeah. This, I mean, just this slander there. I'd send an apology to Dermot Gallagher right now.
1: Anyone who wants to get in touch with... Dave brackets Dermot about these VAR decisions. Is it David Downey seventeen on Twitter? No, it is David Downey seventeen <laughs> on Twitter um, or at the Blue Room EFC. Um, you know, Dave loves discussing these sorts of things right. with with um...
4: the entire reason I haven't gone on there to say that as well. By the way, but what I'm yeah. about to say because I, I know what's going to happen. So you, so Paddy was saying that
1: Paddy said he <laughs> thinks it should have been a goal, and if not a goal, it should have been a penalty. And you were tentatively shaking your head on both of those points.
4: So, having initially watched the game live and all the replays that followed uh, in the aftermath up until Monday morning and ref watch on Sky Sports with the terrific Sue Smith and yourself, and and Stephen yourself. Moore <laughs> and me. <Yeah. laughs> I was completely in your camp and I'm pretty sure 99.9% of every Evertonian uh, I would agree with having seen the game and what, what happened. I said previously on Radio City Talk with Steve Oderson on Monday that Everton pretty much denied three ample opportunities to win that game 2-1 in the 30-second spell that we saw Guilfie's chance, an apparent penalty and the ridiculous offside decision. He's uh, going to
2: start using words like alleged here, isn't he?
1: It's like reporting
2: report on a call. Yeah, I feel like I'm on the stand. I do feel like I'm on
4: the stand here. Criminal,
2: with, criminal trial. Yeah. It, it, it should have been a goal, by the way. With the, it should have scored. With that, DCI. But, yeah. well, that's yeah. well,
4: that's where we'll start. We'll start there, and, and I will agree with that. I yeah. think it's a horrendous miss. Now, I've had arguments with people on Twitter about this already who think that he did well to get his toe to the ball. But I think if you watch the replay, he gets there much earlier. Then I think the slowdown replay shows this, and there's some really good stills on Twitter of this, where he gets there comfortably ahead of Wambasaka and is it Maguire as well He's yeah. coming in on yeah. the other side. Um and he he toe pokes it um hopelessly where maybe you know, maybe if Guilfi Sigurdsson's playing a little bit better, he goes with the outside of his foot and puts it to that right hand side, mm. or he opens up his body and goes to the other corner as well. That I will agree with. I think he should have scored there. Where it gets contentious for me is every single replay I'd seen up until Monday morning said to me, Yeah, stonewall penalty, stonewall penalty. I then saw on Ref Watch, so go back and watch this before you throw your pelters at me I've on seen, social I've media. Seen the
1: one, you, you, me. It's
4: the part, it's the paddock camera, which is sort of halfway up, and it's it's zoomed in right on the profiles of Sigurdsson as he connects with the ball. Wambasaka coming in from that far side as it looks there with the camera, and Harry Maguire, who stood there and sort of leaves a trailing leg in. Again, let me reiterate up to this point, I was with everybody, stonewall pen. But on this evidence, I see Gilfie Sigerson getting his foot to the ball, and I see him, as he does so, begin to go to ground. Wambasaka, when the contact comes in from Wambasaka on the other side, which everybody is saying is the penalty itself as he cleans him out, he doesn't. Clean him out in inverted commas until Sigurdsson is virtually touching the floor. If you watch this replay, he's hit the ball and his momentum or whatever it is. Maybe he's trying to win the penalty if he's, if he's quite clever, but he's sort of he's got both. He, he's hitting the ground. There's inevitability that he's hitting the floor before Araman Bissaka touches him.
2: That doesn't matter though, does it? No, it's, it's, still it's still, there's still, he, he still contact. Still, still dived in on him regardless. You know, no.
4: he,
1: he could be, he could be. Sigurdsson could have fallen over and Wamba could have slid in and after
4: you know after he's had the shot and the ball had gone does that does that not a foul I don't think it is no I, I I don't I don't think it's a foul because it's it's after the event if you get what I mean so could he have punched him in the face after the event no obviously not but you're talking extremities
1: here it's not it's, but he, it's, but it's not but it's, it's not it's not too much of a leap to say he has slid in we and the play, ball's the ball's long gone and he makes
4: significant contact with him we play a contact sport right he's in earnest, tried to win the ball, I remember Saka. There's no intent to foul Sigurdsson, is there? It's a desperate lunge to try and stop the That doesn't goal. come in. No, it okay. I think it is desperate. No, because what you're talking about with the punch in the face is violent conduct. And it is right. a desperate yeah. lunge. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. He's lunging in to stop the ball. But what I'm saying is, I think Gilfie Sigurdsson is down on the floor before that tackle comes in, and I don't necessarily think it's a foul. That's my take on it, because it looks to me, when I see both of his feet, both of his knees have gone before wan has even arrived, he tows it. Because what happens is, and, I, and I've watched it so many times, he's expecting the contact. That's probably why he toe pokes it. He's expecting that crunch to come in and hit him. It doesn't happen until after, well after he's hit the ball and when he's already started going to ground. It's like you see it so often when, I think Raheem Sterling does it a lot for City, where he'll knock the ball past the defender, go to, to, go to reach it, to cross it in, or to pull it back, or whatever it is. The defenders made the challenge, but he's already on his way down before the defenders hit him. Mm. I don't think that's necessarily a penalty. I just want to say it. That really, <laughs> he, he was he was really careful. I'm desperate to find this angle, right? Because the only t- the, the time I I've saw seen it, the one you mean, I right. was in work and I've only seen it a couple of times when he replayed it. And unfortunately, on Sky Go and catch up, ref watches on there. Oh God! It with such I, a top quality production. I don't,
2: I don't. I don't see the point in that ref watch show because I think all it does is it looks to validate the referee's initial decision and I think it's, it's almost like in getting somebody on who knows these guys hmm. you, you, you add an element of inherent bias into the process so I don't, I don't, really, I don't really go off what happens on ref, ref watch I've seen multiple replays though. I've seen have you seen the one replays. I'm talking about yeah I've seen all the replays and it's, there's still enough contact for it to be a penalty and he still, he still fouls gilfie Sigurdon anywhere else on the pitch and that's a penalty, uh, a, a, a free kick. It's a foul. So, mm. I, I mean, for me, I, it didn't really change much. What it, what I would say is, I think, if you look at the two scenarios, after Sigurdsson misses a chance, he should score. Everton have been unlucky in that game. And it continues a theme for me that goes back to the Arsenal game, where Everton weren't unlucky with refereeing decisions mm. as such, but they have been unlucky to take one point from six across those two games. I think I think they've been good value for two, maybe four. And on a good day they'd have taken all six. Hmm. Weirdly. Yeah. They played well without without taking the just, points. Just, the all, just, what
1: just I was gonna just say just go on, on, go one go on. quick point. On you know, the angle you've 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 referenced there. Yeah. Uh, do we know the referee had access to that? Because sometimes they don't have full access to all the broadcasters.
4: Yeah. Cameras, and, do they? Well this is the point I'm making because I didn't I wasn't aware of that angle until it was brought to light on Monday morning. I hadn't hmm. seen and I watched it on match of the day, I'd watched all the Sky's replays on it. The, I think the issue was not many people discussed the penalty until after they cleared up the controversy that was the the offside decision. Nobody was really appealing for the penalty until after the game, and we saw that you know quite a lot of amount of replays. And then it was only on the next day we saw that 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 separate angle. So I I don't I I would surmise that John Moss didn't have access to that. Whether he would have given it anyway is another matter, isn't it? Because it's it's John Moss and there's a distinct. Lack of competence there on his behalf um, and, and what followed, really. But the, the other thing I would say as well, on the offside, and I'm going to absolutely slaughter there, on the offside, and this is where I think ref is quite handy, because Dermot Gallagher, yes, is there to defend his mates and his cronies from the PGMOL and all that sort of thing. I completely accept that. But what he does is he gives he gives a perspective of why they've given it. So, he in, in their opinion, that happens because in the rule book, it says if you're in a line of vision, that is a grey area, isn't it? That that is on built on perspective. Yes, it's not clear and obvious, so the goal should have stood. I'm not I'm not denying that aspect of it, but I can see why they've come, given their own terminology, why they've come to the the, the, the decision to not award the goal because he's in an offside position. No, he's not interfering with play. Could he feasibly do something in? David De Gea's line to the ball even though he's not blocking it could he do something to to affect David De Gea yes he could and I think that's why they've given it it's it's a perfectly valid goal for me but I'm just trying to come up with a reason why they would suggest it's not a goal
2: you're penalising the irony the huge irony here is you're penalising a player who I believe is being fouled and he's in that position because he is being fouled Mm. and no you can slow it down as much as you want, but time time does not actually move in those really ultra-slow, slowed-down yeah. segments. There's a split-second decision there. Can he get off the pitch? Is he able to move? If he'd actually got up as Dominic Calvert-Lewin was taking the shot and it being deflected, he
1: would have interfered with play because he'd have touched the ball. Mm. <laughs> I, mean, it's... I suppose if he stands up, he is in the goalkeeper's line of sight well, then, isn't is, he? Well, how, how,
2: what we're saying... My my interpretation of the rules is that you effectively have to have a tangible impact on the goalkeeper's decision making mm. or on the 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 deviation of the ball. It doesn't impact on the deviation of the ball because he doesn't touch the ball. So there's the first thing cleared up. The second is the De Gea moves to the right. Mm. He's he's decided. He can see where Calvert Lewin is shooting because Calvert Lewin aims for the far corner at the Gladys Street. He takes two steps, and that's what's fatal for him because it's the deflection that carries it, and wrong foots, wrong foots him, mm. puts him in the other corner. So, I mean, in which part of that process has gilfie Sigurdsson influenced?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm I'm sort of of the opinion that it, it's harsh to disallow it, but you know, I can see why. But if you get, if you can, you've given the goal. But that does that matter? Is is the is meant to be clear and obvious? Yeah. And
2: days later, we're speaking about but it,
1: it. it. I think we've seen, haven't we've seen we've seen we've seen, haven't we, the season that that's that's not the case. You know, you go back to Michael Keane but against that was, Brighton. That,
2: that was the that was the reason given for not awarding the penalty. By the way, yeah, yeah, that it wasn't clear and obvious. So how can how can it apply to but that's one that's what I'm saying? They, they, pick,
1: they pick and choose these moments. Uh, so they, 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 so, they
2: so they what we're saying is then, the, the, the the whole. Interpretation of those two events is fundamentally flawed because they've not been judged in the correct way. Absolutely,
1: and that's that for me is one of the big issues with VAR. So that undermines
2: any arguments as to <laughs> yeah. as to whether it was a penalty or not.
4: Hmm. Yeah, with him, him getting out the way as well as an issue I've seen people go in on him for that and I think it's extremely harsh but I will say I did find it quite funny that you look how quick he gets up off the floor to celebrate the goal if <laughs> he did that after he fell over or was fouled Do you, do you not understand
1: his... what I mean? If he if he stands up there he is right in front of the gayer then isn't he? I yeah. suppose by sitting down he minimises he, he minimises I don't know what the right word is there minimises his role and his sort of surface area in regards to the, the gayer side if he just stands up right in front of yeah. him you no, know, he can't see then, can he? He can't see. He's probably having to look yeah. around the player to see. How often do you walk and look at the floor?
2: You don't, you, you look straight ahead of you. The yeah. Gea was looking at Dominic Calvert. Depends who's
4: coming down the other side. Yeah, of the road. That, that, that goes back to what I was saying. Exactly. <laughs> their, their theory is that he, he's provided, I think what they're saying is he's provided some sort of distraction by being in his maybe his peripheral vision, mm. which of course is not the rule. So it's, it's still sort of stood. But I think John Moss has gone for the cop out there. It's really easy, I think, mm-hmm. for him because Sigurdsson's in that position to make the decision. Um, and it, it, I feel incredibly harsh on on Sigurdsson because he's had a dog's life recently. Um, and it just feels like this compounded all that misery. But I still go back to that chance I think, guilty, just put it away, mate. And we're not having this conversation. And we're sitting here celebrating yeah. three points. I Very think the,
2: the problem is it all snowballs, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at how it got out of control in the first half with Davis confronting one of the United players. Can't remember who it was. Calvert-Lewin's late challenge. It all Ancelotti stems, on the pitch. Ancelotti on the pitch being weirdly held back by Duncan Ferguson. You'd, you'd imagine it would be role, roles reversed there. That all stems from Manchester United. After uh, Michael Keane's kicked the ball out, of these down receiving treatments all stems from Manchester United keeping hold of that ball. Mm. Then Lindelof goes into the back of Richarlison for a foul. Mm. And the ball shifts over to the left touchline. Big melee ensues. They lost They lost control of the game from that point, the officials. I don't ever think they got that back. And I think you watch the incident with Ancelotti after the game and the red card incident and the way that Cavanaugh, the referee, mm. speaks to Ancelotti and he's saying stuff like disappear now three times. It, that, that seems to me to be a fundamental lack of respect. Has anyone
4: checked on Chris Cavana? Why? Right. in the aftermath. You don't want to upset the Don, do you?
1: You'll know him, won't you? Get, get, well get your, he was in God's get, country this yeah, afternoon, get, wasn't he? Get, he your, was in, get your contacts
4: at the uh, PGMOL. P G M O me check up on him, yeah. I'll be getting the contacts from my hometown, which is where he was this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> enjoying some fine cuisine. He was in Bootle. He was. Chris Cavana. No, Carlo oh, I was just to say, <laughs> I you said anyone checked on Chris Cavana? Yeah. No, no, I meant in, in regards to uh, upsetting the great Carlo.
2: He went up to, he went up to Sefton, didn't he, Carlo? He went out of the city, oh, and really? To no, he just went Dave's, to Bootle. Babe's hometown.
4: He, he, he went to the north of Liverpool to Bootle. There you go. And he went he was outside a, of the city. He was enjoying the delights of Bootle, New Strand. It's,
2: it is it is, it is funny to think <laughs> yeah. of Carlo
4: Carlo there. I am when you think of some of the places in there, to be honest, and the people. We'll be going but back. Anyway.
1: But uh, just we've got five minutes so before we go to a break. Do you want to talk about Jordan Pickford? Um, Dave, you described him as an enigma on Twitter at the mm. weekend. Um, <laughs> It's almost a bit of a carbon copy of the Palace game, isn't it? Where you know you're looking at one moment and yeah. saying he's cost us big time there, and then later on in the game he he makes a you know a good save to to keep Everton a, a parity. Obviously, they go on to win against Palace. They can't quite do it against Manchester United in the end, but
4: he's having a really torrid time at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, and I, and I think in the in in the short burst that uh, follows a Gallo's miss slash Pickford save uh, towards the end of the game, when I think the the United strikers should ultimately win the match for. Um, for United, I feel as if that was a microcosm of what we were really at with him. I know you spoke to David Priest about this: is 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 mm. uh, his concentration, his confidence, and how he reacts. Have all been described as attributes of his in the past. But you know, when you, when you look at what he was, what he was doing after he makes that save, where he's pretty much hitting himself in the face, he's screaming into mm. the air in, in celebration. Um, they're not. They're almost,
1: not. They're not the action, Sorry, they're not the actions of a. A footballer who's fully confident in their own, you know, ability and, and how they're going about things. Is it somebody? It's almost like a relief that yeah, I you know, managed to do something there.
4: That's exactly the right way of putting it. I think when you've got Gareth Southgate there as well, casting a shadow mm-hmm. over him, um, and, and the potential for him to lose his place ahead of the Euros in the summer, mm-hmm. when something like that happens, the vindication he must feel, um, the euphoria he must feel to think right that will show them in, in that type of defiant way. Um, not really having his eyes on the prize, is he? I mean, no. he, he, that happens and then it's not like he's screaming at the defenders for saying, why have you let the ball come across? Why is Agarlo standing there on his own? It's not that. It's purely it's a selfish uh, response to the incident and, and I think that's where the difficulty lies here because there'll be so many times... You, know, you think back to the, the team we were playing, Peter Schmeichel, probably the greatest goalkeeper in Premier League history. What did he do when, when he had to be called upon? The first thing he does is just tear strips out of his defenders mm. and says, Why why has that happened? Why why am I why have I been called into action? I shouldn't have been having to make that save. Whereas Pickford's by comparison is to sort of scream at himself and G himself up. And I'm not necessarily sure that's the right approach to take after that moment. But look, nonetheless, he stopped United from scoring. Um the first one, he gets two hands to the ball from Fernandez a shot that isn't really right in the corner. So on a side that I think he's probably most comfortable diving to as well. I mean, it it is becoming frequent now. This um, and you wonder, you know, when do those moments stop where the point blank saves that you're making come to an end and the actual mistake you've made in the game is the one that costs us. And there's there's a I think there's an argument to say in this particular game, he he might well have cost us three points with that Mm. mistake against Fernandes because other than the Galo chance, United don't really have any any real decent opportunities in the game.
2: I guess it depends what you want from your goalkeeper and how we judge Jordan Pickford. So I think he should save the Bruno Fernandes shot, but has done well to save the Galo effort. So I would say his contribution there is about even he lets he lets one in he should probably let one in and he he obviously saves one that's not sterling it's not the mark of a top top goalkeeper a top goalkeeper saves them both jordan pickford's yeah. not at that level yet quite clearly and hasn't been at that level this season and there're obviously still things he needs to to work on in his game it's made the fact that he's made the error instead of letting in the Agarlo one in particularly in front of southgate Means that again, there's a big circus surrounding him, and the air is highlighted. It's another example of how, in some people's eyes, he
1: shouldn't be England's number one. I think what he said after that Paris game is probably, you know, added fuel to the fire. You know, J- Jamie Carragher said, didn't he, on the, on the Sky commentary after he made the mistake? You know, he, he said himself, he's unhappy about the stick he's been getting. You're about to get a lot more now. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that sort of thing just adds to it, doesn't it? As
2: yeah, well. and I mean, I, I know I, I was obviously at the game, but I know that there was a lot of discussion and quite critical discussion. On Sky, of his performance, Roy Keane saying he's just not a very good goalkeeper. Mm. I wouldn't go that far. I think that's a little bit harsh. Mm. What I would say is he should have done better with the Bruno Fernandes efforts. And there's still room for him to grow as a keeper. He's he's performing averagely, yeah. ac- according to his own ability. We keep having these conversations, though, and I think it would be nice to move to a period where we don't have to talk about a Jordan Pickford error or a, a piece of Jordan Pickford even a piece of Jordan Pickford brilliance every now and then and I know that sounds really bizarre but I think you just want to get to a stage where you goalkeeper about, almost yeah. fades yeah. into the background and we can instead foreground the attacking players that are yeah. making a difference or a great stalwart defensive effort that kind of stuff we haven't got that there yet with Jordan Pickford so the, the conversation will continue it's obviously not good for him to, to concede that goal in front of Southgate what I would say is certainly two Everton players there F- will have furthered yeah. their claims for an England birth based on what Southgate saw on Sunday. Calvert-Lewin was exceptional, probably, probably my man of the match. Payne's <laughs> in, in, in a pecking order of English <laughs> left-backs at the moment, he's actually he's actually yeah. probably quite high up given some of the performance of some of the others. And like, even like, say, Bukayo Sacco at Arsenal, he yeah. can't be too far away. Chilwell, people like that. Calvert-Lewin, fantastic, immense... Led the line superbly, lovely touches, brought others into the game, scored his goal in, in very unusual circumstances. And Mason Holgate's probably established himself as Everton's number one centre-back now. Mm. If you look at um, Yeri Mina dropping out to make mm. way for Michael Keane every now and then. Ancelotti seems to want to rotate those two. But Holgate's more or less the one constant. If you look at yep. team selection, does an awful lot of good and thought he was good again against the dangerous United outfit. On Sunday, so those two did very well. Good to see Andre Gomez back. Like to see more Bernard, but I think across the board, we've taken one point from six. I actually think things are a lot more positive than that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I think that the, the trajectory Definitely. is right. The momentum is positive, and that that's the main thing.
1: Yeah, uh, hopefully they can take that into the game against Chelsea <laughs> at the weekend. After the break, we'll be talking about that a little bit. But first, we'll have some clips for you from our Blue Room Extra service. We'll be right back here on Radio City Talk.
4: Back to the next part of your podcast in a moment or two, but I just want to direct your attention to The Blue Room Extra, which is our subscription service for those of you who want a little bit more, well, a lot more from us in regards to content. It's patreon.com forward slash The Blue Room Extra. We have all sorts of different shows on there, very different lineup to what we had previously for 2020. There's plenty of new things on there, including Series 2 of Diaries of an Old Lady, which gets underway this summer. There's no obligation whatsoever. There's a back catalogue of tens of and hundreds of interviews that we've done with former players and legends, including that Diaries of an Old Lady Season 1 with the likes of Joe Royal, Graham Sharp, Kevin Sheedy. Give us their greatest moments as we count down to Everton moving to Bramley Moor in a few years' time. Plenty of other shows coming up as well, brand new ones. We're adding more and more to the list as we go on. It's a really cheap price. It's around £3.99 a month. There's no obligation to sign up either. So you can try it for one month if you don't like it. Just cancel your subscription and we won't be charged any further by ourselves. So please check it out, patreon.com forward slash the Blue Room Extra. Now back to your podcast.
1: This is the final part of the Blue Room here on Radio City Talk. And as promised, a couple of clips coming up for you now. First and foremost, a little teaser for something we've got coming up later in the year. It's going to be looking back at that 1995 FA Cup final win. 25 years ago, it would have been in May. Uh, can you believe that? Um, and we are doing a special feature on it. It's over on our Patreon service. It's patreon.com slash extra. It's a feature called Seasons and we will, of course, be looking back at that 1994-95 season. Already we've spoken to a number of key figures from that campaign. Uh, Joe Royal, of course, the, the ex-Everton manager. We've also caught up with Dave Prentice's Liverpool Echo and the club statistician, Gav Buckland. Here's a little bit of a teaser of what's to come on that. They had a really good group of players there. I mean, the spirit in that squad was second to none, and there were some absolute
5: top-class professionals... But they didn't believe in what Mike Walker was doing. Eamon Holmes was taking the Mickey out of on prime time, Sally. <laughs> saying, you know, what's the difference between the triangle and Everton? The triangle's got yeah. three points, so they are all the joking about that. If Eamon Holmes had taken the Mickey out on prime time, Sally, you know there's uh, you know there's problems. There wasn't a lot being offered I think Ron Atkinson was being mentioned and he was in like he had, he'd just been given a vote of confidence yes. at Aston Villa, yeah. you know. Howard was mentioned again. Joe was undoubtedly the best appointment the club could have made at the time, you know. People didn't like playing against Houston, They were... T-shirts with dogs, um, you know, <laughs> frothing, frothing at the jaw on them, and uh, and the fans took it up. goes up, it's there. It's Duncan Ferguson who scored his first goal for Everton, and he scored it in the derby game.
2: After that Bristol City away game, I genuinely thought, wow. This could be our year, because we
4: got battered. Never had a blinder. You just had a sense, I thought, that the pressure was off in cup ties. And so that helped them. Unsworth, a better one this time. Swings it up towards Ferguson, not to pull
3: down. Chance maybe. Watson heads it forward. Great save. No, it's in. And Dave Watson has put Everton in front.
5: I thought that after Newcastle, one or two were starting to think about Wembley.
1: Here's Daniel Avocacci. He scored! Avocacci for Everton! The Nigerian has sent
5: Everton to Wembley now. We were outstanding in the semi-final at at Leeds against Tottenham. and, And I... Being an Everton fan would say that was one of the most outstanding performances I've seen from an Everton side, You know we were that good on the day.
4: Limpard going forward, Jackson's made a great run down the right, Jackson inside the area, Jackson onto his left foot, great chance for Everton, oh he hits the bar, still a chance, it's into
5: the goal, Everton have scored and Paul Rideout has scored it, unbelievable! The Manchester United, cold! My biggest thing, the 94-95 season was staying up and I, I would rate that above winning at Wembley. I always said Wembley was for the fans and, and it was and, it, and it, it still is.
1: Yeah, that is coming up later this year here on The Blue Room. Uh, and now coming up as promised as well, we spoke to the lads from the American Sophie podcast all about their experience at Goodison Park. Here's what Alex and James have to
3: say on our subscribers
1: weekly podcast over on Patreon
3: what we've been telling people is we came because we just wanted to watch Everton play live. That's it. Right. We just reached out um, to fan engagement to help us secure tickets because we heard that it's kind of difficult to get tickets. Um, And so to see all of it manifest this and then um, everyone like yourself, showing us a lot of love when we came and and inviting us to record and talk and and meet up. That's been, uh, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. So it's been amazing
1: for for anyone who's who's not aware of you guys. I think it's, it's great that, you know, I was listening to the podcast with the with Liverpool Echo in the week and sort of, it was really fascinating hearing the backstory of it. And I saw it on Twitter last week that you guys haven't never actually met yeah. until about a week ago, which is insane, isn't
0: it? Yeah, so we've been doing it remotely. Obviously, you know, in the US, Everton fans are, uh, there's, there's plenty of them, but it's a, such a big country that we're yeah. pretty spread out. So I'm in Maine, which is an extremely rural state, didn't have really any... Everton fans around me and even most people don't even know about the Premier League or European football yeah, in general yeah. it's all American sports and so uh, I saw Alex was doing the podcast and reached out to him and he's in Virginia so about a thousand miles away but mm. yeah I joined up and we've been doing it through the internet ever since for a year and a half and we met uh, Thursday morning at 5 a.m. in the Dublin airport were you worried that you weren't gonna like each other in real life
3: no I mean see <laughs> everywhere imagine explaining to fan Uh, family and friends that you were meeting for the first time uh in europe right for a two-week 2 for a two-week trip but uh you know i mean we've worked together on the on the show for six eight hours a week right so you know we have a good relationship already and it's been cool
0: yeah we talk almost every day and honestly that part was the the least of our worries coming over you know the logistics of everything were a Mm. lot more stressful i knew everything would be fine once we got over here we'd get along great
1: yeah it's amazing how. uh a football club can sort of do that isn't it where you know we, we've had it with people like Rob Beer who's coming on our podcast and you know there's people you meet on Twitter and you sort of feel like you know them already and you give them sort of more of a benefit of the doubt than you would if they weren't inevitably <laughs> you sort yeah. of, you sort of go, like, oh yeah th- they're definitely going to be sound because they're blue
0: yeah no and it's not just a football club right it is just I think it's Everton specifically mm. the you know that the second someone tells you and even walking around the city we've met countless people and they ask what brings you to the city and we say Everton and they're de- definitely taken aback by it. Uh, they're a little surprised. <laughs> Everton, are you sure? Are you sure? Mm. We went on the Beatles tour today, and, and the um, the tour guide asked, you know, oh, what brings you to the city? Where are you from? And we said, you know, we're here for Everton. He said, he, uh, he was just so surprised. And, and mm. But once everyone, you know, we tell them about everything, and, and they're, you know, very receptive and very welcoming and friendly, and it's mm. been the, the scouts hospitality is uh hasn't been overhyped at all it's been incredible yeah.
1: o- obviously you know you, you've spoken already on, on twitter and you know like i said other podcasts about goodson park and obviously you both loved it i think one of the, the things that that we speak about when people go to goodson for the first time is that I, I always use the term it's a bit of an assault on the senses in regards to what you see what you smell what you hear all those sorts of things it'd be interesting to, to you know to you know come to you first alex on this one what when you got there on the match day in particular, what was it that immediately came came to the forefront of your mind? Was there anything in the particular what you smelled or you saw or you thought, wow, this is not what I expected, or sort of caught you by surprise a little bit?
3: Well, I think just walking up walking on Goodison Road, right, and, and up to uh up to Goodison Park was really cool to see a bunch of people that even just liked the same club that I do, right? <laughs> yeah. Because I you never see it. You never see it in the States. Um and so, you know, we walked into Goodison Park and I was I was kind of explaining to him, you, everyone talks about how it's like a bear pit, right? You know, the, the seats are very close to the pitch and it makes it a very hostile environment for away teams and that sort of thing. When you watch it on TV, and, and I actually mean this in a very positive way, it looks a lot larger, right? Like, mm. because you've got the cameras way up high, right? And, and as you know, like you take a picture, things look much sure. further away than yeah. they do. So when you come in, it feels so much closer and I, I really got that, you know, I got that vibe immediately, and then um, I think the best part was hearing the Gladys Street sing. So uh, the main the main stand, not necessarily as much, but we still joined in plenty did ourselves. You get, did you get told to sit down? That's a, that's a classic Goodison Park experience. <laughs> no, thankfully
1: tap, not. A tap on no. the show, the sit down, lads, a- pay for almost, the yeah.
0: Almost, you could tell. Uh, luckily, we, I mean, we were fairly close to the back, so not too many people telling us to sit down. But yeah, um, yeah like he said, just seeing it in the flesh, pictures don't do it justice. It's just breathtaking, and. Um, mm. The match day experience. You know, we come. We got there a few hours before match day. We went uh, upstairs at Saint Luke's Church to see the mm. the Heritage Society, all the setup that they have up there, which was really cool. The, all the history, of course, is one of the main attractions at Everton. Unfortunately, yeah. no recent trophies, <laughs> of course. But and then um, we we went into the I went into the ground. We met with fan engagement, and of course, I'm sure most people by now have seen the video where we met Tim Howard. Uh, so. <laughs> Very sneaky on, on fan engagement's part, so they told us they wanted us in for a pitch-side interview, and so we're we're talking to the camera, and then, of course, Tim comes up behind us, and we're just, oh, unbelievable. Yeah. So uh the reactions were very authentic, and we, well, we couldn't believe it.
1: Well, we were saying before the show that you did very well not to swear there. I think, I think it was you, Alex, who sort of said, holy... Yeah, and, then just... it, and it looked like, oh, he, he's caught it just at the right time, <laughs> and then he stopped himself from swearing on Everton's cameras, but... It yeah, wasn't the
3: case. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I didn't stop myself. Uh, I, I did say it, and I had to kind of double-take to the cameraman and say, hey, I hope you can edit that out. Um, I'm actually surprised that part even made it in, but I guess, you know, if I didn't say yeah. if they, if Tim Howard just walks up and taps you on the shoulder and, and they just have me muted and I say nothing, then that looks even weirder, so yeah. they kind of had to roll with it. But genuine reaction, I mean, I, I didn't know what else to say. It was a huge surprise so. uh, uh,
1: was it a coincidence that tim was over the same weekend as you guys
0: it was a coincidence and what had happened was we had done the the saturday we had gone on the legends tour which was mm. at 2 p.m to 4 which at the same time tim was down at everton 2 mm. and so we had reached out to christine and fan engagement and asked is there a possibility that we could get from goodison down to everton 2 to maybe see him and she emails back and says unfortunately i don't think the is going to work uh, out maybe we can make something else happen and that was the last we heard of it until he's tapping us on the shoulder the next day, and so we we were hoping we'd meet him at some point. Didn't know when it would be, and that was a very special moment for us.
1: Just just one thing you were both speaking about there, which I think is, is really interesting. I think a lot of supporters sort of come over for the day and, and for the game and that sort of thing. But it, it feels like both of you have really bought into the the fabric of the football club as well and, and the history. And I, mean, I, I don't know what you, you know, what other sports you follow in the States and that, that sort of thing as well. But is that the same for for all your teams you support? Did you really get, get involved in that? Or is, is Everton sort of, you know, c- captured your attention a little bit more in that sense?
3: Everton has, this might be a surprise, but it is, it, I am far more engaged with Everton than any other teams, right? So uh I follow the Seattle Sounders and MLS. Mm. I follow like the Pittsburgh Steelers and the NFL, right? Mm. But uh you only have so much time and energy to follow different, different teams. And so I'll, you know, I'll tune into different games or matches, but in terms of, you know, reading articles, listening to podcasts, watching videos, uh, it's pretty much only reserved for Everton because I generally speaking can't get enough. So
0: yeah. Yeah. Same way. I mean, I'm also a new England Patriots fan in American football. I know, I know, I know, I know know. everyone (laughs) shakes their head, but I mean, I'm from Maine, which is in new England. So I'm not you know, it, it makes sense geographically. Not a glory. No, no. You know, it's no. Been, I've been very fortunate that just, you know, since I've been seven years old, they've been the dominant force mm-hmm. in the NFL. But with the with the current situation with Tom Brady, I don't know how I many of your <laughs> listeners follow. Who knows how much longer that will go. But Everton specifically, no, I, I think what's really unique about English football in general is the expansive history and how closely it ties into the culture. And the just the nature of the fact that you are the clubs are generally so local bar Mm. maybe five or six and it's incredible just the the loyalty the passion and the way in which it's tied both you know economically politically throughout the history of the country Mm. is an extremely fast it's fascinating frankly and it's, it's very different from American sports in that regard, I think.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting to speak to the lads about that, like I said earlier on Patreon.com slash the Blue Room Extra if you want to hear a little bit more from us. Very quickly, last five minutes, lads. Chelsea, Stamford Bridge at the weekend, looking to win there for the first time since nineteen ninety-four. And Carlo Angelotti may or may not be on the sidelines, Paddy. What did you what did you make of that at the end of the game, first and foremost? And, you know, we said earlier on it's probably a bit harsh, but uh, I love this little wave as he as he trudged off as well <laughs> towards the end. The funny the funny thing is, I think we've all
2: got the impression of Ancelotti is this kind of sedate, gentlemanly figure. And I've already seen two or three occasions where he's been riled by various things that people have done in, in relation to him. This was just a further example. And there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of bile in the terraces. And I think that kind of permeated onto the pitch for the final minutes of the game. Ancelotti himself obviously got worked up. But you watch the incident back. And like I said, I do think Peter Cavant uh, Peter Kavanagh. Peter Kavanagh's a pub in Liverpool. Which <laughs> says everything about yeah, my yeah. subconscious. There, um, Chris Kavanagh. <laughs> he um, <laughs> I can't believe I said that. <laughs> Chris Kavanagh. I, I think he's, he's he's quite rude and he lacks a little bit of respect in the way he deals with Ancelotti. And it's just whether you deem Ancelotti saying something along the lines of "No, I'm not moving. I want an explanation." Is being enough to warrant that kind of sanction? I personally don't think it is. Mm. I don't think it is. I think a little bit more forcefully and a little bit more politely at the same time, they could have got to a situation where they toned down the atmosphere inside Goodison by just saying to Ancelotti, look, if you do that again, I am going to have to send you off. And it didn't seem there was like that interim stage there. So I know Everton think that he's being harshly treated. It's whether they appeal because... If they appeal and it's deemed to be frivolous, then obviously they've got until Thursday to appeal, but if they appeal and it's deemed to be frivolous, there's the potential for a further sanction. I would actually fight this. I think I think it's worth highlighting certain mm. things that took place in that game and effectively saying, look, we can't always be everyone's parties here. We can't always yeah. take take the decision on the chin because we're an easy target. At times we need we do need to highlight if a referee's shown a bit of a lack of respect if a decision's not gone against us and be a a little bit more vehement in that. Everton need to weigh up whether it's worth that risk, whether they can stomach a situation where they challenge it and there's a potential for a further game. Because then, I mean, some people say that's not worth it. I'd I'd still probably fight it, but they've got a decision to make. I don't know what you guys think. Mm.
4: I think with uh, Peter um... (laughs) Cavanaugh...
2: Lovely putt, by the way. You you have to...
4: (laughs) if If you're him... And I guess in, in, in the face of one of the legends of the game Remonstrating with you Maybe he's in the heat of the moment as well When he's pulled that red card out But I think an experienced referee And I'd like to think a lot of them Maybe would have taken into context The idea of why he was so um, Not forceful But why he was so het up about the whole thing um, That's what you do If you're a referee in that situation You think, well, you know, that's understandable mm. And also it wasn't his decision either. He was taken out of his hands because, just quickly to refer back to the incident itself, Gavanna actually goes to give the goal. I think he goes up yeah, to his yeah. management to ask if he thinks Sigurdsson touched the ball. It's only when that decision's made that John Moss intervenes via the, the VAR system. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it feels like a storm in a teacup in that regard if you're the ref, and I think there's a better way of handling it than giving him a red card because, look, he's not exactly... You know, Fred pushed him in the game and didn't get anything <laughs> from it. He's not physical with it. He's not intimidating. He's asking questions. The only reason when he he then perhaps gets a little bit more flustered is when they just completely blank him. So I I think it's harsh. I think it probably is worth appealing. And um, you know, maybe the 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 cynic in me perhaps thinks, well, maybe you get big dunk on the touchline for the derby and Carlo can just sit up in the um, director's box giving him instructions. But this is the first time a Premier League man yeah. has been sent off, isn't it? Yeah, it is, or yeah. Under, red cards. Under,
2: under the new rule, Yeah, obviously Premier League manager's been sent. Issued the before. red card. Yeah, yeah. The, the, under that rule. The the other thing is, and I, I wonder if there's like a middle ground here, where actually what happens is, Everson accept the charge, but he hasn't got a time yeah, back. Yeah. and there's some kind of token fine, and do you know what I mean? Like Almost the effectively like accommodation yeah. can become too. Which would probably be in everyone's best interest because it means nobody really loses face.
1: Yeah, and um, we've got thirty seconds left to talk about the Chelsea
4: game. <laughs> How's it going to go, Dave? Uh, I think we'll get a draw. I think Chelsea are in a quite a vulnerable position right now. Uh, I think we go there still with a, a great deal of momentum, even though we haven't got the, the rub of the green in the past past two weeks. We've only lost two in what thirteen? Is it mm. something like that? So I, I think we'll take a point, but it feels to me we have to win that game. We have to take four from the next two. I think to cement <laughs> our uh, contention for Europe.
2: Yeah, I think a dr- draw is probably, if you're going to want to sit on a fence, it's mm. probably the result I'd go for. You wouldn't be surprised if anything happens in this, would you? Yeah. Beyond like a thump in Chelsea win or a thump thumping Everton win. Uh, all results, it's a cliche, but all results seem to be in play. It's how the two teams play on the day. What I do know is Everton have got more than enough firepower up front and enough creativity in the ranks in certain areas to trouble Chelsea. I guess it's how well that midfield holds up and how the centre central defensive partnership how Pickford deals with playing in another big stadium in front of the glare of England supporters all those intangibles that you can't really figure but I don't think Chelsea are the same Chelsea as they were at the start of the campaign and I don't think they should go there with any kind of Everton yeah. should go there with any kind of
1: fear
4: we see Harold old mate Kurt as well forgot all about him I knew everything that's gone on yeah Ross is going to be there as well that'll play, but yeah, we'll see get a warm reception we'll from uh, the way end
1: absolutely uh, we have run out of time uh, thanks very much to everyone who's on this show this week cast the thousands that's been your weekly show on the Blue Room here on Radio City Talk Progressive presents Married to Your
3: Home